Good morning. Welcome to our assembly. Can you think of a better way to begin your week? There are other events going on. All kinds of opportunities for entertainment seem to abound in our society every day of the week, morning and afternoon and evening. But you've made the choice to be here. Why? You believe what we're doing here is valuable because it is about God. His Son, His Word. So let's get the Word open now to the book of James in chapter 2. I'm going to begin at verse 14. James chapter 2. That's the location, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Apparently there were people in the time of James who said they had faith, but James said there was an absence of evidence. And James illustrates that. Several times in this brief section, he makes his point vividly and plainly. Verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Or verse 20, faith apart from works is useless. His illustration is in the case of Abraham. Faith was active along with his works. And then at the end of the section, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, I haven't provided a verse-by-verse -verse analysis and definition of every word and detailed exposition, but the main idea of the section is clear to us without defining words or looking into phraseology or structure. Faith that isn't productive is useless. 
Faith apart from works is dead. Now, once you get the main idea of the paragraph, the next step is, what am I to do with this? Well, I'm, I'm finding it necessary as I read passages like this to look at my faith in God and make certain that my faith in God is productive, that attached to it is obedience to God. When I find something in Scripture God wants me to do, faith should prompt me to be active and do that. When I find something in Scripture God wants me to avoid, faith should prompt me to avoid that. When I find some good attitude God wants me to nourish in my mind, faith should prompt me to work on that. In my role, in my family, with my neighbors, in the work of the local church, in my career, in my responses to crisis, my faith in God should take me to obedience to God. And that leads me to this exhortation. Live what you believe. It is so simple. Live what you believe. A very simple admonition for us. You believe in God, you believe in Christ, you believe this book is the Word of God for our use today. Live what you believe. Abraham did. God told Abraham to offer up his son Isaac. God knew the outcome. Abraham didn't know, but he acted on his faith. He lived what he believed about God and what God said. His living, his conduct was directly related to his faith in God. So it can be said to each of us, live what you believe. Now, we need to get even more specific. Once we discover that faith is useless without producing obedience, and once we begin the process of examining our faith, then the next step is to be very specific. And that's where preachers come in. That's where we help us be specific. Let's make applications now. Evangelism. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. When I read that, first I need to look into my heart and my action. Am I ashamed to speak up, to tell people that the gospel is what they need? And I want you to ask yourself, are you living what you believe and speaking what you believe? Are we afraid to tell people the truth from God they need? Why are we afraid? Because of the negative reactions? What will the negative reactions be now when we speak to them compared to what the negative reactions will be for them eternally? What a good question. I think we need to get over our hypersensitivities and start talking to people about the Lord if we haven't. Personal evangelism is not a complex action. 
that requires years of study. You invite someone to come to our services. You offer to read the Bible with someone. You set up a Bible class in your home. You send out an email. You share our website on your social media. Without any harsh belligerence, don't start with an argument. Speak the truth in love, considering that this is a part of what you believe. And you're going to live what you believe. I think one roadblock to good personal evangelism has been the idea that we must always think big. Big programs and big budgets and big results and big publicity and big venues. Sometimes that expresses itself when we ask, why don't we take the gospel to some foreign country when, in fact, there are people across the street and in our families and offices and we've never invited them to a Bible study. We need to live what we believe. Evangelism is one of the many applications of faith that should be lived out in life. Generosity. Many of you have what is called a red letter edition of the Bible. Where the words of Jesus are marked in red type. And you will discover when you open the New Testament to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are paragraphs and sometimes chapters like Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it's all in red type because Jesus was speaking and that's being reflected by the red ink that Bible publishers and editors thought needed to be used. Well, there's one place in the book of Acts that stands out among the black type where Paul was talking to the elders in Ephesus and Paul quoted Jesus and in your red letter Bible it will stand out in Acts 20, 35. And you remember now what he said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That brief sentence states perfectly what generosity is and what God expects of His people. And we all believe it. I've never heard of a debate over whether or not generosity is good. If we took a poll or a survey in this audience or in public, you'd all say we believe in generosity. That's not the question though. How does that belief find practical expression in our daily lives? Do you look for opportunities to share and give and donate? Are you generous and sacrificial in giving to the Lord? And don't limit generosity to money. Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your talent? Are there resources that we have that we are not using that others could use? And here is how serious this is, according to 1 John 3.17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Do we live 
what we believe about generosity and can we do better. And let's go ahead and add to that love. Among God's people, I've never heard of a debate on the subject of love. Should we love or not? No Christian I've ever known has argued in favor of hate and against love. I've read many articles in my life, but I've never read any author who claims to be a Christian affirming that we need more hate and we need less love. No, we seem to be united that God loves us and we are to love Him in return and we are to love each other and love our fellow man. But remember what we read in James chapter 2, faith or belief is shown through action, not just words. John said in 1 John 3.18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So just as faith must find expression through behavior, love must find expression in how we treat people, how we interact with people. Jesus took it this far in Matthew 5.44, love your enemies. What a challenge. So in my day-to-day -day life, as I live what I believe about love, I've got to constantly examine myself. I've got to scope out my attitude and measure it according to what God has said. Examine my deeds to ensure that they have that good motivation. In 1 Corinthians 13, a well-known passage, Paul describes love in terms of certain kinds of behavior. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I read that and say to myself, that's great. I agree with all of that. Am I practicing that? Am I living what I believe? One more. Taking a stand. In a couple of recent sermons, I've mentioned our role as soldiers in the Lord's army. This is derived from Ephesians 6, for example. We are to wear the whole armor of God. In 2 Corinthians 10, we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and we fight the good fight of faith, contend earnestly for the faith. Statements from the New Testament addressed to Christians to speak up against sin. The Apostle Paul offers a good example in Galatians 2. Peter was discriminating against Gentiles. Paul, according to Galatians 2.14, opposed Peter, telling him he was not in step with the truth of the gospel. There's no evidence that Paul was ugly or violent or hateful or that he engaged in gossip. He spoke against a public wrong. If we are committed to what we believe, there are times when it's necessary to speak what we believe with love, and with clarity. So, for example, do you think abortion is wrong? Are you against homosexuality and same-gender marriage? Are you opposed to racial hatred and violence? 
Silence is not how we live out our faith when it comes to matters of faith. Peter admonishes us, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God, the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4.11. Make sure God has spoken on the matter. But then when God has spoken on the matter as a child of God and follower of Christ, you can certainly and must certainly speak what God has spoken. This is what God has said. It is another way that our faith is lived out. Paul said once, I believed and so I spoke. Can you say to your friends the following? I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a member of the Lord's body. I love to read and follow the teachings of the apostles of Christ. I believe what the Bible says about marriage. I define marriage as God has spoken. I believe racial hatred and violence goes against the principles of the Bible. Now, you're not boasting of any superiority there. You're living out what you believe. You're speaking what you believe. And then I would hope all of us who say these things are then willing to follow up by showing people where God said the things we've affirmed. When I read what the Bible says about faith in Christ, when I understand what James said about faith being active, that knowledge must always take me to this place where we've been this morning. Am I living what I believe? Now, we all know people who are not living what they believe. But that's not what I'm talking about right now. First, it needs to be about me and you. This is about you listening and looking at God's Word and evaluating yourself. And me looking at God's Word and evaluating whether or not my faith is productive. So I'm going to leave that question with you to answer. And should there be any way you need to respond now, you can come as we stand together to sing.